So my name is David Kynard. I am um, your newest baby elder here. Um, I've been at this church for 13 years. Ashley and I got married, moved to Fort Worth, and we started coming to this church all about the same time. Um, my oldest is now sitting in the youth, which is strange, uh, and he's jumping up and down. Um, but I feel like this, this is our home, and this is where we've been for so long, I can't imagine um, being anywhere else. So I'm honored to preach here, definitely a little nervous, but I hope that will wear off. A little bit. This is not my first time to preach. Um, wanted to start off letting you guys know I've preached one time before, and it was about 15 years ago, and I was on a mission trip, and things happen on mission trips, but I was on a mission trip in Brazil, and um, we're walking to the church. It's Sunday morning, and we're just walking, getting ready to worship, and the missions pastor uh, those missions pastors, he just turned to me and said, you're preaching this morning. And uh, I mean, it's literally like an hour before we're into the church. And so uh, I've had many, many hours to prep. So don't worry, um, I, I have a little more prep. But I don't know if it was good or bad. I did have an interpreter because it was in Brazil and it was in Portuguese. They have no idea probably what I said between what I said, what the interpreter gave, um, so I, I couldn't get any feedback on if it well, went well or not. So um, I wanted to start and let you know that I have at least prepped, and it will be in English this time. So if you'll turn to Titus, we're going to pick up in Titus. Uh, Nick preached Sunday before last, and we'll be picking up where he left off in chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. I'm going to go ahead and read that to you. So if you turn after 1st and 2nd Timothy, turn to Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, captives of various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. But when the goodness and love for man appeared from God our Savior, he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. This Spirit he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to, de to devote themselves to good works. And these are good and profitable for everyone. Let's pray. Dear Lord Father, I pray that uh, we come to you ready to listen, ready to understand uh, what Paul is writing to Titus. Um, Father, I pray that it's good and profitable for us to listen and understand and understand uh, what we were like uh, before coming to you and to be reminded and to be reminded of your love. Uh, Father, I pray that we open up our hearts and uh, we have listening ears. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to give a little recap. We were in Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And if you'll remember, Nick preached on this, and Paul is writing to Titus 
um, to remind, he's saying, remind the Cretans, the people of Crete, remind them to do this. Remind them to be submissive to rulers, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to avoid fighting, to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. So he's, he's telling them essentially to do these good works, do these good things. And what I'm going to speak about or what we're going to talk about is how can we do that? How can we be the light in the darkness? He's essentially saying, do, do these things. So what's our motivation? How can we do that? So picking up in verse three, for we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, captives of various passions and pleasures. We're gonna be talking about in this first part what it looks like before salvation. What the Cretans, because he's reminding the Cretans that have come together, he's addressing those believers and telling them to do good works. So we are, we are looking at those Cretans and he is saying we, he is saying I too, was foolish, and this is us too before we were saved. Foolish, disobedient, deceived. If you'll look back in chapter 1, verse 12, you'll see the reputation of the Cretan. Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. So already in their society, they already had a reputation. And Paul is telling Titus, you need this reminder, remember what it was like before you were saved. So breaking it down a little bit, foolish. We too, so this is us, this is Cretans before salvation, before Christ, not having any wisdom, not understanding, no good sense. There's no way to understand God's ways, completely not having that wisdom disobedient, not listening, not having listening ears, not following. We can't move, for, move forward in God's path, in God's way before salvation. We don't know how to do it, and by nature, we're disobedient. We will do what we want to do. Even still, we struggle with all of these things, doing what we want to do, but before, that's what we were left with. That was who we are, who we were being deceived, no discernment, no eyes to see, no ability to see a situation, read, have discernment. And then this last part, enslaved to various passions and, and pleasures. So my version says captives of various passions and pleasures. Some other versions say enslaved. It's the same thing, you, you're stuck before salvation. You were stuck in a state of enslavement. That's why when Christ comes and breaks those chains, we're free of it, but beforehand, we're not. And Paul is saying, remember who you were. So I'm gonna turn to Ephesians chapter two and give you a little, little better picture of what this looks like, or a little different picture uh, Ephesians 2 mirrors a lot of what's going on here in Titus chapter 3. So I, I'm, I'm going to read a little bit out of that as well today. But chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, 
and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to this worldly age, according to the ruler of the atmospheric domain, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously, that's important, we previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. So we were dead, we weren't alive, we were living in our passions and pleasures, doing whatever we wanted. Completely separate from God, this is pre-Christ. We are completely doing what we want to do, not hearing, not seeing, stuck in cycles of sin, and truly it's, be it's because our heart is hard and we don't understand how to get out of it. So how can we do, verses one and two, how can we do those good things? How can we be gentle? How can we be kind? How can we do those things that Paul is saying that, remember Cretans, I want you to do these good things. Paul's painting uh, a picture for us of pre-salvation and he goes on further, just that latter part of verse three, you can see how this plays out really in relationship. Uh, living in malice and envy, hateful and detesting one another. So furthermore, he's talked about, you know, you're foolish, you couldn't see, you're disobedient, but what does that look like when we're mixing amongst each other? When we're not saved? We're doing harm, we're causing others pain. We're doing really the opposite of what Paul is saying Christians should be doing. As lost, we're, we're being envious, we're hating, we're hating one another. And in the Cretan society, that's a lot of what's going on. You see their reputation, you see what their society is like. They are always lying, it says always lying, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And in, a, in our society today, we also have an environment of hate, lying, doing those types of things, not, not different up against others that don't know the truth, that don't have eyes to see. This is what it looks like for them and, and their condition, what they're left with. So I was reading that part uh, in the Bible and I was looking at a commentary and I came across a good um, an author had written about this part specifically, and I thought it was worthwhile. His name is Dwayne Lifton. I thought it was worthwhile to read to you guys what he said and how he described this to kind of get a better picture of it. While a veneer of civilization, we're a civilized society. We have our orders. We have our rules. Because you may be challenging what I'm saying. It doesn't look totally hateful all the time. But this was what was really neat for me to understand. While there is a veneer, a shiny coating of civilization that obscures the bleak truth, the slightest crack in the surface of society reveals that the reality behind the facade, the painful truth is, apart from God, people degenerate into little more than animals wrangling over bones. And that was a harsh picture when I read it. I thought, animals wrangling over bones? That's not what it looks like. 
But what he's saying is, we have civilization. We're a civilized nation. We have rules. We have order. Things have been put in place to make it appear that everything is fine and dandy. But when that has a crack in it, and I thought over 2020, I saw several little cracks. I saw COVID crack, and then I saw a snowmageddon crack. And during a couple of those times, I thought, people aren't acting right. This doesn't seem right. And that really resonated with me because I thought, oh, that was that veneer of order that we had. If we don't have that order, people are going to be wrangling over bones. And it wasn't bones. It was toilet paper and water and, and warmth. But that was that condition. And that's what it looked like. It looks pretty hopeless. looks pretty bleak. And frankly, if you, if you look in Ephesians, it's using the word dead. Uh, you don't have life. You're not alive. You haven't been brought and understand what it means to be alive. So I started out with the gloom and doom and the, the down portion so that I can pick y'all up and leave y'all with, with the hope. And if you look in verse 4, I had to give you that. And Paul wanted Titus to give that to the Cretans. He wanted them to be reminded of where their state was so that they could be brought to a place of, of thanksgiving because this verse 4 says, but when the goodness and love for man appeared from God our Savior, he saved us. So I've been thinking about this for a while and um, again, reading Ephesians and uh, there's a Big Daddy Weave song that's called Alive, and it basically, it basically starts off saying, we were dead in our transgression, transgressions and given in to our fleshly desires, but God and his goodness, but God, rich in mercy. So this is where we're at, but you were that, but stop. There's a big word, but God's goodness and love appeared and that stopped it that that's a total change and this is a different tone and a different way for everyone so i'm going to stop and talk about what is this because i'm not going to skip over and not give this the appropriate amount of time because if you don't understand this verse 4 and verse 5 you're going to miss everything but when the goodness and love for man appeared from god our savior going back to Ephesians, what is this love? If you, if you don't understand it, if you don't realize it, I'm going to use another verse to give a little more of what that is. So I'm going to read in Ephesians chapter 3, 17 through 19. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints, what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So what's the depth, the, the width, the length? What is that? And, and Paul, again, is praying for spiritual wisdom for the Ephesians so that they would know it and they would have some spiritual power 
because they are filled and understand. That was the prayer, and that's, that's our prayer for us, for our church, that we would fully know and understand God so that we can tell others. So I'll tell you a little bit um, about my own experience with this, just a little personal, personal testimony. Another, um, I learned a lot in Brazil. It was a mission trip to Brazil, and I learned a lot from that one trip. But at that time, I was about 25, 26. I was in the uh, singles. I was not married. And um, I was working, going to school. And I had started doing a discipleship uh, class with some other singles. And at that point in my life, again, I was in Austin, mostly by myself, no, uh, no long-term friends, no family. So I found myself kind of getting plugged in uh, down there in Austin. And it was really the first time, I would say, on my own that I was truly seeking. And what happens when you start to seek? VBS people, what happens when you start to seek? You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. That was a VBS verse. And that's where I was. I was, I was really, at that point, starting to seek with my whole heart, who is this God that I serve? And the more that I went to the discipleship, the more that I found I wasn't happy with who I was. Um, so I was in a little bit of a turmoil spiritually, and I went on this mission trip to Brazil. And, um, it was, it was a cool mission trip. We had VBS set up, but um, I'm a nurse by background and I was going to school doing nursing. So I went on a medical part of that mission trip and um, I was in, in the medical clinic and another nurse was there. She was older, probably about 20 years older than I was. And uh, we were we were treating patients. We didn't have much, you know, aspirins and Tylenols and just really praying with people in the medical clinic. And um, I was praying with someone um, that was having a real condition issue right there in the clinic. And that other nurse, I, I said, come here, I, I need for you to help me over here. I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, I mean, I'm a student. I don't really know what I'm doing. So she came over there and she started praying instantly. Like she didn't think, typical nurse she thought I need God here I need God to to help me out and that's the way that I kind of came under her and I was like yep all right we're gonna pray about this and we're just gonna pray right now and um, we did we did for a couple of minutes and she was down below me kind of praying you know and I was standing up and I remember her looking up at me and she had tears in her eyes and she said I want you to know God loves you so much. And she's looking at me. She's not even looking at the patient, which is like having a real medical condition. She looks at me, which I still don't know why. I still don't understand why this happened. She looked at me and said, God just loves you so much. That moment completely broke my heart forever and for good. I, I did not understand the depth of God's love. And it was through her words it's nothing magical that she did, but through her words, she gave that to me. 
And it broke me. I mean, her and I both were bawling like babies. We're supposed to be the professionals, like taking care of patients. They had to escort me out of the clinic um, and stabilize me in another part of the clinic. But I tell that story, one, because it's important to me and it changed my life, and two, because it goes with this part of but God. And that was for me, but God right there and completely made difference in me from that point on. I was saved before, but I understood more of the depth and width and length of God's love. If you'll notice in verses, going back to Titus, if you'll notice in verses four through seven, everything in verse three is about us what we were like, what the human's heart, what our hearts are, what we do as in our lost state, malice, envy, hate, detesting one another. But if you'll see four through seven, there's nothing about us in four through seven. It's all about God. It's all about Jesus, the Holy Spirit, what he has done for us. There's not a single thing that says in this part, and this is what Paul is relating very clearly, this is who you were but God completely came in, in his way, no matter what you've done, you can never do anything. You can't get there on your own. You can't be good enough or read enough laws or rules, but God came in and it's through his mercy, rich in mercy, like the song says and Ephesians says, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, That's the key right there. God in his mercy sent his son, which it says, verse seven, being justified by his grace, or verse six, through Jesus Christ. That Holy Spirit completely changed you. That word regeneration came in and made you new. And then it also says it's a renewal of the Holy Spirit. So you were changed at the time that you believed your heart was made new by the Holy Spirit, completely different and then ongoing. So for me, younger, I came to know and my heart was renewed, but the Holy Spirit really is continuing to renew and continuing to get you there. So through this, we have new eyes, a new heart, a new hope, we're washed new, and that's the part where we start to, since, since we do rub up and continually try to revert back to our own selfish desires all the time. I was talking about this with Ashley and she was like, that's hard. That's because we're, I, I feel like I am, I, I want to do those things. And yes, we're, we're doing those things, but this is the part where Paul is writing to the Cretans, remember, you are made new, you are washed new, and it's continual. So don't be discouraged that you may struggle, but realize that you are not that same person. You are not stuck there the way that you were before without hope. So we are different, we are alive, and we, he did it so that we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. So I have another illustration here of what this looks like. Um, It's not about me, but there was, 
I don't know what age uh, this guy was, but I, I know he, he went to Yale. He was Ivy League educated. He was a journalist, law professor, um, had a great job. He was working, I think, for the Chicago Tribune for about 14 years. Um, he's not saved. He's struggling. He has issues, uh, marital issues. He has issues with his own father. He has issues with his kids. He's mostly drunk every weekend. He's definitely pursuing life's pleasures. Um, he's pretty angry. He's been known to kick holes in the walls um, and, and not be a patient type of a man. Well, what happens to this man is his wife ends up becoming a Christian, which just sets him off because Christians are considered weak-minded in his opinion. He's Yale educated and really, you know, way up there as a reporter thinking logic and sound reason. Christian doesn't even make sense to him the way that they think. He thinks of them as a cult. Um, and you may have, you may know where I'm going. You may have heard this story. This is a story of Lee Strobel. He wrote The Case for Christ. But when his wife became a Christian, it really angered him so much so that he pretty much focused his efforts on writing um, and trying to do research to prove that the whole Christian thing is just a huge hoax. And if someone really put enough research and knowledge into it, it'll completely fall apart. It's just not, it's obviously a cult. Um, he's an atheist. His wife was an atheist. So they're way far. They're over here. The wife is not anymore, but he is. He's still Foolish. He doesn't have that mind. He can't understand. He's completely deceived. Um, but his wife is not. So she starts praying for him. And if you have read the book, which I haven't, I'm embarrassed to say, I watched the movie um, over the summer. That's why it's appearing in this sermon because I was like, this is Lee Strobel right here. Um, so what do you think? happened when his wife started praying and he started really digging into God's word is what he did because he's like I got to start with the Bible if I'm going to prove this wrong I got to know what's going on he starts digging into it and he ends up coming to know God he ends up becoming saved I mean his wife is persistent in prayer he was persistent in seeking not necessarily seeking God with his own heart, but seeking after and trying to find answers, which that's what a lot of people start doing when they find God. They just end up seeking, you know, what, what is this? So, so that was Lee Strobel, verses 3, and then verse 4, but God. And then what happens to him immediately after he comes to know God? His marriage starts to get rebuilt. His character changed completely. This was not that hardcore journalist that was angry. He had his heart melt. His priorities changed. His character changed. His values changed. His life completely changed. And that's because of this. Nothing, nothing happened to Lee Strobel. He didn't read a ton of books and say, Lee, you need to be better and you need to be enlightened and you need to be kinder. God happened. And that's it. But God, rich in mercy, but God in his goodness 
appeared, appeared to Lee Strobel. And that's what happened to Lee Strobel. He did come out because he knew God's love and he did come out to do good works, to avoid fighting. He did start to be kind to his children and his wife and he did start to be gentle. So all those things, all those good works, all the fruit that comes from being saved, that did happen to him. So how can we be that light in the darkness? It's not easy. This was a good sermon for me. I needed to hear it. How can we be that light in the darkness? How can we love others? How can we be kind to our children, be gentle to others that are screaming at us or telling us why things have to be a certain way so passionately and maybe angry or hating? How can we do that as Christians, have that gentle love for others it's because we need to be reminded of God's love and we need to be reminded we can and we should and we have the power within us because we're new and we're made new and we need to stand on that truth Paul reemphasizes these things in verse 8 and there's a couple of times that Paul reemphasizes things in Titus, but in verse 8, he makes sure that you understand. This is trustworthy. I want you to insist. I mean, how many times in the Bible do you read a verse and it says, and I insist, I insist that you do this? I mean, we should take it that way, but it's spelled out here. This is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things. So for that you have the, you have, you that have believed God, you Christians, I want you to insist on these things so that you can devote yourselves to good works. And again, that word devote, I was thinking about it recently, something else that Ashley said, and I was like, you have to devote yourself to it because you can't just do it willy-nilly. Kindness here, do your own thing here. Kindness here, do your own thing. You do have to devote yourselves uh, to these good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. Basically, this is sound doctrine. What I have just said is, you were lost, but God and his love appeared. Jesus came, you're washed, made new, now you have hope. This sound doctrine is beneficial. It's profitable for everyone. Now, He's writing to the Cretans, so it's profitable for them so that they can come together and be different because the reputation in Crete is gluttons, liars, evil beasts. Uh, so they're gonna have to face a lot in their society, and we do too, and it's profitable. When you think of that, you think, oh good, I could improve my marriage, I could improve relationships with my mom, my dad, my whoever it is, this is profitable for everyone, for the church, for our own church. This is profitable for us when someone says, I don't think, or I really don't, you know, and it starts to build towards a divisive or a hateful manner. This is profitable that a church would come together and say, but, but God in his goodness and mercy, let's stop Let's think about showing gentleness 
to someone and, and coming alongside of them. It's profitable for us. So what do we do coming away from this message? How do we leave here? There's two things that, I, that I'm coming away personally with this. Um, I'm reading about what it's like to be lost. And, and in thinking about Lee Strobel, knowing what different people are faced with, no hope, um, stuck, in ways that they cannot have the wisdom to pull themselves out of it and say, I'm stuck here because I'm not following God. And his word says, do this so I can get out. So what, what we need to do is pray for those lost. Pray for those lost to seek, for them to understand God's love. That purely, I'm boiling it down to the lost and understanding God's love. And for us, for me, I needed this sermon. Thank you, Mason, for assigning this sermon. I needed this for myself because it reminded me I need to understand God's love. I need to know it's deeper than all the little shallow priorities I have set for my seven o'clock a.m. calendar forward. You know, when that just repeats day after day after day, it's weeks, months, years that will pass that I'm not understanding God's love is that deep for me. You know, there was a time in my life where I journal it and I can hold on to it and say, God's love is that deep for me. I am forever his and I love him forever. I need to be reminded of that. So for, for all of us to pray to understand God's love more and more, I'll give you a little example of how I had forgotten that. Um, and someone came into my face and basically told me that I had forgotten that. And um, earlier on, I was dealing with some relationship struggles. And uh, I tell you this because this is one of the keys to relationship struggles. I was having some issues, really stuck and not understanding why this relationship was going the way that it was. I was not liking it. I was in the not patient, not kind, not showing gentleness mode. Um, and I, I went up to the seminary to seek out a counselor. And um, the counselor, it was the best counseling session I've ever had. It lasted literally five to 10 minutes. I mean, you think of counseling, you start saying, you know, different things, but this was probably a student or in the counselor program. And uh, I said, you know what? I started just turning out. I said, this person has done this to me. They are doing this. I don't like it. This, this is the way that it's going. Just spewing out different things. So this counselor, literally the best counselor, he wasn't paid, I'm sure. He was probably just doing his, his work at the seminary. He said, it sounds like you don't love that person. And I didn't know what to say because he just cut it off and he said, it sounds like you don't love that person. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it sounds that way. Um, he said, my advice to you, and he was like wrapping up. He was just, I mean, literally he said nothing. Um, but again, I, I think, I don't know who he was, but smartest counselor I've ever heard. Go home and pray to love this person 
And that was it. And he like said, all right, you know, that's, that's your lesson for the day or counselor session. That was it. That was the one session I had. I never went back for counseling for that issue anyway. And uh, that was my reminder that I had gotten far off the rails and he just pulled me back to exactly this. You're not loving. You're not pulling in as a Christian, what you have in your heart is to love others. No matter what has gone on, you can pray to love that person. You may not love them, but I challenge you to pray to love that person. Um, and there's a lot more to that story. I'm not going to go into it, but that, that turned out well, because that's what I needed to hear. And for us, if you're struggling with something, it's not fun news to have someone say, you need to pray to love that person with, with God's love because you can, because you have that heart. I am going to revisit what Armando read to us because it wraps up here and kind of reminds us about God's love and I'm just rereading it over again. It's in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is perfected in us. Love is from God. Love is born of God. We didn't know it before we knew God. Let us love one another. Let his love be perfected in us. This is, again, what our church is about, knowing God, knowing his love, and then making that known to others. So if you'll pray with me, we'll pray over those two things that I talked about leaving out of this message and what Paul wrote. These are the two things that I'm coming away with. Dear God, I pray, Father, that my heart and mind will not forget what it's like to be empty, to have no hope. And I pray that everyone here, Father, will be able to understand and know how deep and wide and long is your love for us Father, if someone is not understanding that, they probably are not spiritually powerful 
and spiritually able to live out the life that you called us to live. So, Father, I pray that for me and everyone else here, Father, that we would be able to understand that, Father. And I pray that the lost around us, the ones that we come in contact with this week, that we would be able to love them enough to share, I've got something that really gives me grounding and hope and love to go through day by day. You don't have it, do you want it? Father, I pray that for our lost, I pray that for our church. Um, and Father, I just pray that we continue to be a church that has a heart for you, Father, and above all else, we will love you with our whole heart and our whole mind and our whole body. In Jesus' name.